Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. All right, Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket. Today I have a distinguished guest, Dr. Dennis J. Patterson. He's the chairman and CEO of Veris LTD, a company focused on healthcare advisory to help improve efficiencies and outcomes in the field. He's been a successful entrepreneur in healthcare for many years as managing partner at various businesses and has had a tremendous amount of success. I just want to go ahead and open up the mic to Dr. Patterson to round out that intro and fill in any of the gaps that I may have missed. Sure. I've been in healthcare for a very long period of time, and I have had the privilege of not only seeing the U.S. healthcare system, but I spent 11 years in the Canadian system and five years in the United Kingdom system, where I was a partner with Ernst and Young and advised the Thatcher administration and others in the change of the major healthcare. And today, I'm seeing that kind of tremendous change happening in the United States, which is bringing the forefront of what we do to the help of hospitals who are really facing a very unfamiliar and unsecure future. Dr. Patterson, you've uh, really had just a great experience of seeing other healthcare systems in, in Canada and the UK. And do you feel like this is something that has already happened in those systems and now it's happening here? Or what's your view of that? No, everybody's facing a different type of crisis because of the choices they made earlier and the type of healthcare system that they've chosen. When I gave speeches throughout Europe about competitive healthcare systems, and I mean, I've been in Iceland, I've been through France, I've been in many countries speaking, and always someone at the end of the presentation about comparisons between the US, UK, Canada, and Europe would always say to me, hey, Dr. Pedersen, who has the best healthcare system in the world? And my, it was one of those answers that kind of tied me up. Yeah. And I finally came to this conclusion. I said, everybody gets the healthcare system they deserve. Because unlike any other social system, be it crime, be it welfare, whatever it is, not everybody experiences it equally. And in healthcare, when you get sick, you get sick. And it doesn't matter how wealthy you are or how unwealthy you are, you get an intervention with this healthcare system that you have allowed happen as a voter, as a taxpayer, and as someone who's been insured. And the way I usually made the comparison, I said, if you lived in the United Kingdom and you were waiting in London for a bus and there were three people waiting for a bus, the line would get to 10, 12, even if they weren't sure which bus they were getting on. If you ask an American to wait in a queue for anything, bus, a taxi, or a healthcare system, you would have a riot. <laughs> kind of why I see our healthcare system is just as unique as the Canadian system or the English system, which are now facing crisis of access. Is mm. as the populations get older, and as they have less and less young people to pay for that, they are now making decisions for the person seeking care as to whether or not they get the surgery to whether or not they get intervention, or is there a waiting list for a need, which I had a friend of mine in Canada waiting for seven months, because he was over 70 years old. But he was fine with that. I mean, yeah. you told that to a 70-year-old in the U.S., you'd have a lawsuit. 
No doubt. And, you know, Dr. Patterson, you hit the nail on the head there. I really felt like with this idea of everyone gets the health care system they deserve. And as we are on this show, you know, the folks that are coming on the show are the folks that share that belief with you. There's a lot of people in healthcare that feel like victims. They feel like these things are happening to them, but in reality, it's in their hands. Right. And so as a leader in the healthcare sector, what's a hot topic that you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda? And how is Veris applying that topic? Well, for the first time in my career, and I started out in Cook County in Chicago years ago, I'm hearing people not talk about health care in the traditional sense of an insured person, but starting to talk about value. Is this organization truly, as a hospital, bringing value to me? And now we're starting to see things that I've never experienced before, where someone who's uninsured is shopping for value among hospitals and are getting a set price for procedure that is still above the discount that the insurance companies get, but well below what the individual is paying, sometimes even in deductible. So now people are saying, how do I measure value? And the way the Virus, we're a 30-year-old firm and we're kind of unique is that we're not really a consulting firm. We're really a provider of clinical information to physicians, mostly, that are hospital-based. And Dr. Bill Molenbrock, our founder, 30 years ago when DRGs first came in said, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, I'm a trauma surgeon, I'm going to get killed in terms of this reimbursement under DRGs because I have no idea how sick my patients are. I have no measurement that I see in the marketplace that can say to me, this patient is sicker than this patient and needs more intervention. So he founded what was then called Iameter, which now has become Virus, to look at applying a clinical acute system to every patient inside a hospital using three years of clinical data. And so what he came up with was an algorithm which is federally uh, protected by patent called Vera Sherlock that shows every patient by diagnosis how sick they are, basically on a one to five scale, with one being the least six, five being the most sick. And basically says, through the algorithm, this is how long that patient should stay in the hospital. This is how how many people should die by that diagnosis by severity, and how many resources should be used in the hospital to cure them. And we've created what we call the quality quadrant. And mm -hmm. it's a very simple definition of quality. Curing a patient was the least intervention at the shorter funds to stay. Why is that a quality outcome? Quality outcome because one, every intervention that you take to a patient, whether you stick them, start a therapy, anything you do to them has a chance of complication. No doubt. Every day you stay in a hospital that you don't have to stay, there's another complication possible, such as an infection. So if you're getting a patient out, cured by your intervention, which is shorter and less, less onerous, and you're getting them out shorter, that's a quality outcome. And that's the quadrant we use when reviewing with physicians. And we really make this a physician-driven. I'm a hospital administrator by training, and although we have a lot of responsibility, it's really the physician with the computer walking around who orders all the tests, does all the intervention. And so our methodology, our looking at the severity adjustment, is very readily taken on by the physician because the hospital administrators, when they go to intervene, say, oh, your length of stay is too long. Oh, you know, you use too many expensive drugs. Oh, you know, you're this, you're that, you've done these. And a doctor's response is always very simple. Of course I do. 
I have the sickest patient and I'm the best physician on staff. Well, when you give them their own data for three years, acuity adjusted, and show variations of hundreds of thousands of dollars to what was expected and show greater lengths of stays compared, not to the world, compared to the other doctors in their hospitals, they stand up and take notice. And we've seen significant change in behavior in very short periods of time. Once they believe that the data is severely adjusted and it's them against their fellow physicians. Being compared, and I have, and I love Kaiser, and you know, I love the Cleveland Clinic, and I love Mayo, I've worked for most of them. They hate being compared to that. If they're in Utah or they're in Chicago, they're peers. you know, they say, look, we're not that. We're whoever we are, and we're great. And we say, yes, you are, but, you know, this is so, Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so is uh, using a lot less intervention and less costly drugs and having just as good outcomes. And all of a sudden, we put up a little, we call it a scorecard in the physician's lounge, and we cut off at a hospital in Pennsylvania that was the most efficient hospital under Medicare, had the lowest one to say, we took off another 0.2 of a day through them basically competing with each other. That's huge. And, and Dr. Patterson, thanks for sharing that. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of the listeners as, as leaders of these systems and leaders of the companies helping these systems struggle with is this idea of value. And it sounds like at Veris, you guys have gotten very granular and have the Sherlock algorithm, really applying those clinical acute algorithms to the, the way that patients are taken care of so that in the end, it becomes a behavior-changing, outcome-improving technology. And there's two things about it. One is we don't take over the hospital's physicians, but we are a provider of really relevant data that we have collected from their system without much intervention with IT. But usually an analyst can supply us with the billing information and the medical record information. And then we have two other systems that we've added to Sherlock in the last six years. One is called, you know, real, this is real bright, Virus Watson. Nice, <laughs> Sherlock and Watson. So Sherlock and Watson. We can't use Watson because IBM gets very upset. That's right, that's right. Virus Watson's okay, we understand. So what Watson does, is it tracks the medical record of the patient. So it tells who ordered what when, and when did that happen? And this allows us then to help the physicians because what we have found at first, we would find that the physician head was in the non-quality quadrant. And there's three other quadrants that are non-quality to us. Long, longer length of stay, more outcomes, longer length of stay, shorter length of stay, yet more intervention. So. Those are three quadrants you can end up with. And so when we first looked at it, they said, okay, where's Dr. Dennis? Oh, look, he's in the red quadrant. He's nowhere even near the quality quadrant. So let's get rid of Dennis. And that way that will improve our value. But what we found after looking at three years of data is that Dr. Dennis had 20 cases in the quality quadrant and 20 cases in the non-quality quadrant. So what we use under uh, Watson is a, what we call 20-20 visioning. Okay. We take the first 20 best cases, their worst 20 best cases, and we basically take the acuity levels one, two, three, and group them as the low acuity patients, and acuity four and five as the high acuity patients. And we show them what they did differently from the quality quadrant to any of the other three quadrants. And we go down so granular that we hit 35 major cost centers in healthcare something as little as the supply of a Band-Aid, 
to something mm -hmm. as complex as an MRI or the drug you use. And we can show them exactly what they use against themselves in their 20 best and 20 worst cases. And a lot of times they'll say to us, well, we would say, and we never say they're wrong because they may not be. And maybe they had to do that because of something they saw right. that wasn't written down in the medical record, wasn't recorded by the industry, whatever. But we say, you just ordered five EKGs over five days and they all came back negative. Why did you do that? We noticed on day one, you ordered an MRI, and day two, you ordered an MRI. He said, I didn't order a second MRI. Who did that? He said, oh, Dr. Molenbrock did that. He's your consultant. Well, I didn't order that. Well, it happened. And Dr. Patterson, what I really like about this analysis is that it takes that story, right? The story about the king that wanted to change the kingdom. And it started with the kingdom, couldn't do it, narrowed it down to the local villages, couldn't do it tried changing his family, couldn't do it. And then he just said, you know what? I got to start with me. And when he started with himself, he was able to create that ripple effect that changed the kingdom. Right. And that's sort of what you're doing with Watson here is taking the individual picture right. and improving within yourself and going outward. Correct. And then the third thing that we have, which is very important now that we're starting to talk about value, no one's defined value. I mean, is value uh, what? The golden board that you have coming in on the I-80 to your town? Is it the five-star rating you got from whoever? Is it the top 100 hospital? Is that value? So, so what is value to Varus? Yeah, in Varus, we have something that's also patented called the Medical Value Index. And we can compare, and we have compared every hospital in the United States using MedPAR data, the government's data. It's two years old, but we've done it. And we have an 800-point scale. So we look at the quality indicators that you report to the federal government. We look at morbidity, mortality. We look at the clinical variation that you have. And we look at the resources that you use in order to solve problems with the patient. So we have those five sectors. We give it an 800 point scale with the quality issues reporting being the lowest because we've discovered in every hospital in the United States, the difference is 2% because everyone's learned how to check off the boxes. And then we give the highest is the clinical variation and the amount of resources used to solve the patient. So we give a final score of, let's say 799 out of 800. That means that you, there's hardly anything left for you to do to get into our you know, value quadrant. But it allows hospitals, for instance, let's say- It's like a credit score. Yeah. And so basically what we're doing now is a lot of big physician groups like orthopedic surgeons, especially with the CJ initiative by the government saying, okay, we'll help you lower your cost, but we want to see, we want to get something out of that. And they're using Virus. They're saying, we'll use Virus as a kind of referee. You oh, have, yeah. that is from you, the hospital, that is from us, the doctors. And given the empirical methods that you guys use, it's black and white. You know what you're getting. It's either you improved or you didn't. Right. And it's your data. And it's your data. It's not being populated anywhere else. It's coming from you, right. physician-driven, and it's just the way that you could improve it, really. Absolutely. So now, let's say that I'm the chairman of the orthopedic department, and I have All 10 right. orthopods who work for me. And now I have a million dollars because I, I took out – Two million and the hospital completely just split it, you know, right down the middle. So I have a million dollars. And so now I have nine other orthopods plus myself. 
but I have to decide how I'm going to split that million dollars. Do you do it on a per case basis? Do you do it on a length of stay basis? No, you use the medical value index. So you can now compare a physician using his or her medical value index and say, you scored 800, you get the most per case, you scored 200, you get the least per case because you have not improved in these quality quadrants. And there's a lot of applications like this that you could use these metrics to incentivize and also the, on the other side, right? You well, Blue Cross Shield comes to you and says, look, we want a risk contract. You say, great. Yeah, I think I really can control my costs and control my outcomes. How are you going to do that? And how are you going to have a objective metric that both you nor Blue Cross can actually affect, but that has a quarterly update saying how you're doing? And this was actually, the medical value index was actually created for Kalispell Hospital in Montana almost a decade ago. And what happened was, Iameter at the time bent the cost curve of that hospital from 16% to 2.4 over six years, lowered their costs to less than inflation and even less than medical inflation. But at that time, Stark Walls were in place and they couldn't reward their physicians. So Blue Cross Blue Shield, who was the big payer, said, if you tell us how, we will reward the physicians because we're not in any way affected by Starkwall. That only says you, the hospital, can't do it. And so we created the medical value index in order to reward physicians in, in Montana. Got it. And it makes a lot of sense to use it that way. Dr. Patterson, you guys have had a lot of success here over the years, and I appreciate you sharing that. I feel like oftentimes as the leaders and entrepreneurs in this business, we learn a lot more from setbacks. And perhaps you could share with the listener base a time when you or Varys had a setback and what, what happened out of that setback, what lessons were learned. Can you take us to that moment? Several years ago in our, in our last six years, we tried to be both a supplier of information and the consultant. I have my degrees in actually in organizational leadership and change of behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I, we said we could intervene and do this. And a lot of chief medical officers have just been hired in the last few years. And the CEO calls me and says, well, now you're the chief medical officer. It's no longer an honorary position like it was when I was a young man. You know, oh yeah, you're the, you're the chief medical officer. So, you know, walk around and make everybody happy. It's like, okay, pal. This is your job, and I want you to lower our clinical variation. And so here he is out there trying, or she is trying, to lower clinical variation, and they're spending millions and millions of dollars trying to figure out how to do this. So we come along, we pitch, say, hey, we got this great clinical information, and we'll come in and handle this for you. Well, I thought back to when I was a younger administrator, and if I had to go to my CEO and said, you know, I, I can't control my supply costs even though I'm oversupplies, and I had to hire a consultant to do this, he would have laughed me out of the room. Why am mm -hmm. I paying you back then $100,000 to do this? <laughs> mm -hmm. But now, and so we really resolved that that's actually what was happening to us. That was a setback that was happening to us with the chief medical officer, is that he was not about, or she was not about to go to their CEO and saying, look, we're going to hire Virus to take care of this for us. But what we have found is having objective clinical information. And the fact of the matter is we have an ability to have computers that are not programmed in like language to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. so we can actually take disparating systems and make them communicate with each other in order to get our data. That's great. And, and one of the things that we have in this field is that there are a lot of 
bright minds. And with bright minds come egos and also responsibilities. And so how do we manage through that? I think it's really great that you you maneuvered and reinvented the company in such a way that empowers the physicians to lead the effort. And by doing that, really focused on that patient-physician relationship and focused on where those changes can come. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And so you pivoted and now you guys are having success. Can you tell us about your proudest medical leadership experience or moment to date? I think it was really when that hospital in Pennsylvania, they were one of our first to say, because we knew the hospital very well, we had helped them in the past in another life. Mm -hmm. and said, you know, you'll really like this. This will really work for you. And they took it on and they were amazed. And they did something that I didn't imagine that I would see in my uh, tenure on this earth. Actually, after a few years of using the information and technology, they started to use it for credentialing. They started to say, Dr. Jones, yes, you're our highest emitter. But despite us proving to you that you are using more resources, that you aren't in the quality quadrant, you refuse to change. And if you don't wish to change, we do not wish to have you on our staff. That, to me, was a groundbreaking moment. And I believe that in America, because of the cost of healthcare, we're going to see that. No doubt. The second thing I think we're going to see that's going to be amazing is for the first time, because physicians can share in the wealth that the hospital creates, they're willing to come to the table and actually talk. And the thing that's going to be important from the CEO's point of view is to make sure their ego doesn't get in the way when they come and make demands that you don't think are reasonable, but listen as a good negotiator and find ways to compromise with your medical staff to make it a win-win situation for your hospital. Excellent. Yeah, and it's this idea of, again, going back to empowering the physician. You know, now in a time where they can share in the wealth that the hospital makes, let's empower them. And at the same time, empowerment comes with accountability and measurement. And that's where Veris shines and helps make these decision-making processes and behavior-changing mechanisms work to improve outcomes. Absolutely. Huge. I'd love to check out the system sometime. It sounds fascinating. Maybe I could meet you in, where, where's the office in California? We have offices in, our main office is in uh, Palo Alto. And that's where our IT department sits and our servers sit. We, of course, have to have HIPAA compliant servers. So we have servers with backups to backups. So that's where they sit. We have an office in San Diego, Chicago, and Washington, D.C. So we don't have a main office, mainly because we don't have a headquarters. We basically share among those offices the executives. And so actually what's interesting is Dr. Molenbrock, who founded the firm, is still our chief medical officer and sits in the San Diego office. Is that right? Yeah. Ah, so so maybe we meet in San Diego sometime. I yeah, love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Dr. Patterson, tell us a little bit more about an exciting project that Varus is working on. I know you've mentioned a lot, and maybe you want to expand on one that you mentioned already, but what's an exciting focus or a project? Well, actually, the thing that's been most exciting to me because I've spent my whole life as a first as a not for hospital, not for profit hospital administrator, very large teaching hospitals, you know, Cook County, Vancouver General, I mean, gigantic hospitals. And then I did kind of 250-bed uh, hospitals and turnarounds for Wellspring Partners. But recently, much to my surprise, and I mean, I, you know, sometimes as an entrepreneur, you're not ready for someone to walk up to you and say, you know, I'd like to try that. Yeah. Because the for-profits are using us. 
And so I can't reveal their names, of course, they don't, they want to publicly promote. But we have several for-profit hospitals that are using our metrics because not only do they see the value to share it with the physician, it also raises their stock price. And so they can do something that is below the line. They can maybe not make a lot more money, so it's not a profit motivation, but it's the ability to bring that value and add that value to the sale of the institution or the sale of the company at a later date. And if you think about it, that's probably one of the toughest things for the large not-for-profit hospital systems is that, let's say, that, and I won't use a system, but let's say a system decides that they're going to use various throughout the organization and they have three hospitals. Mm-hmm. We'll make it a small system. And they use it and they do really well. And they, and they bring value to their communities and they add enough profit today, a triple A rating from everybody and they retire. They get their pension. If they take the chance of using Virus and say, I'm just, this is the right thing to do. I'm committed to this. And they get a revolt from someone, their board, their doctors, their nurses, their managers, their other executives, their IT person, and they're out. Guess what they get at the end of their career? No pension. Zero. <laughs> so it so takes a big a, risk. It takes a very thoughtful and forward-looking CEO of a system to actually do what we do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I find that in healthcare, it is difficult as a leader to stick your neck out on things like this. And so what would you say, Dr. Patterson, is is the reason for that? And how could that be an area of behavioral change that we could impact? Well, it's interesting. You know, I got out of college and I ended up in hospital administration by chance. Is that I was really going on to law school and I was going to go into politics and I was going to do this and I was going to do that. And then I found out I didn't like politics and I didn't like <laughs> Now what was I going to do with a, you know, all the BA? And I, yeah. I was fortunate enough that I had worked as a summer intern in Cook County and I found hospitals really fascinating. I mean, mm-hmm. people were really interested in it. And so the hospital gave me a job because they liked what I had done that summer. And I found out there was such a thing as hospital administration, never knew it. So I decided to devote a career to the not-for-profit industry because I cared about the impact as a CEO I could make on the hospital. And I had no interest in medicine. I mean, you get a cut on my finger, I'll faint. So that's not my area of expertise, but I have a good business sense. And so I went into that. And oftentimes when you see someone later in their career, if you can take them back to why they did this, not why they're doing it now or what they're worried about or their pension or their this, that, the other thing. They did it to make it better. And how many hospitals do you know that have increased their profits and lowered their price. And I think what we're gonna have to see in America, if we survive in a system which allows competition, which I believe with, which allows insurance, which I believe with, allows government insurance, which I believe in, you gotta start bringing down that price curve. And the fact of the matter is, as a not-for-profit CEO, you should be doing that. That's why you have trustees over you because you have a trust in the fact that you are running a hospital for that community or for communities across the U.S. And I think there's many of us 
my age and younger that went into it for that reason. And they just sit back, you know, over their cocktails at the end of the evening and say, why did I first do this? And will I take that chance to do what I as a young person made the choice to do? I think they'll make the right choice. That's a great piece of advice, Dr. Patterson. Why to ask these folks, the stakeholders that are at the helm of the ship, you know, why did you get into this? And to get into that philosophical conversation because it's that deep thought of why you got in and why we're needing these types of changes to really help them take the leap of faith, so to speak. That's outstanding. Thank you for sharing that. And, and that'll be one that we definitely note in the show notes for the folks to come back and visit it. The beauty of, of these shows is that it's a listen on demand. So if you enjoyed this interview, then you can always come back and play it again. It's, it's just always there available for you in the archives. You'll always have access to Dr. Patterson's words of wisdom here. So Dr. Patterson, let's pretend that you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. The 101 course or the ABCs of Dr. Patterson. Okay, now is it going to be for the doctors or for the administrators? It's going to be, let's just call it for the healthcare, any leader in healthcare. Okay. So it could be for either, whatever you feel the important niche that we need to tackle should be. Okay. And so we'll write out the syllabus. What we're going to do is a brief lightning round. There's four questions. Okay. And then we're going to conclude with a book for the syllabus. You ready? Okay. Awesome. So what is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Basically, it's to really use objective data that's clinically believed by your medical staff. And that's really the thing that you have to have. And many of us are using a hammer instead of a scalpel when we deal with our medical staff. Love that. That's a great analogy. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid while working at this? Believing your own press releases. <laughs> Believe your own press releases. Uh, do not do that. <laughs> How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? I think what you have to do is you have to really look at other organizations, not only in healthcare, but outside of healthcare that are doing some innovative things in their business, be it IT firms, be it banking, be it the airlines, be it medical distributors, whatever it is. One of the things I read once in a book was always interview the fringe because although only 1% of the fringe is correct, it will be just a revelation that you can use. So listen to the fringe. The fringe, and it just shock your brain to just get it thinking outside the box. Right. What is the one area of focus that should drive everything else in the hospital or in the company? Try to keep them out of the hospital to see what you can do in your community through your medical staff, through early intervention to your population to make sure that they're, you're not waiting for them to get sick to come to you. And that's a very difficult thing to do because we also like competition. One of the funniest things in Canada is they, they have as many MRIs in Canada as we have in the state of California. Well, it's a similar population, but we have three times as many per city. So the fact of the matter is, but that's I know what you know, that's as I said earlier in our interview, that's our choice. We've made that choice. We want competition. We want to be able to choose between Advocate and Northwestern, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, we do control population, especially if you look at the larger systems that also have invested in their medical staff in whatever model they're using to bring the medical care to the storefront, to the community, so you get early access 
I mean, I never thought I would see non-emergent centers sponsored by hospitals, but I see them now. More that we can do like that, even if they're money losing, to get them into the system because we discovered something when they hit that urgent care center that is much worse than the patient thought. I mean, I'm a hospital executive. I've been in healthcare my whole life. I still hate to go to the doctor. And when you do intervene, sometimes it'll be your only intervention because you really feel sick or low at that point in time. And you may hit an urgent care center because it's on the way home, but that intervention can save your life and save your health. No doubt. That's such a great point. Just keep the patients out of the hospitals however you can. And now there's so many different ways. Now, what would the book be at the end of the syllabus? This is really going to sound strange. Go for it. (laughs) Dr. McMaster, who was the head of the University of Minnesota program in health administration and was the original program in training professional hospital administrators well before there are as many schools as there are now wrote a book on healthcare. And what people don't realize is that he was the CEO of the Vancouver General Hospital in Canada. And his book talks a lot about hospitals and hospital administration and how you should do things. What's the title of the book? I don't know, unfortunately. No problem, but it's by Dr. McMaster. Dr. McMaster out of University of Minnesota, Vancouver General. And it's a kind of the first book ever written for a hospital administrator. And I'll maybe get a lot of us back to those roots because it was written in the 50s. Wow, very nice. And oftentimes you got to go back and understand the genesis of it all, right? There's one other book I'd have them read. Sure. Uh, of course. Uh, it's called The Corporation That Saved Healthcare. And it's about a corporation that's in Wisconsin that makes dials, like speedometers. Like dials. Like, oh, okay. And the dials that you have on your washing machines and stuff like that. And it's a family-owned business. And he's like the manufacturer in a small town. And he says, I don't compete in America. I compete against the Japanese, the Canadians, the people in the UK. And my biggest cause is healthcare. And he had a, a bad knee operation. And so he went up and he just started researching healthcare in Wisconsin. And he found an orthopedic hospital that redid his knee and redid it great. So he introduced, because he was self-insured, his own healthcare system, his own healthcare insurance to his employees. And if you would use a hospital in his network, you paid nothing. If you didn't, and he would give you a very large HSA for you to pull against, and he would put in money for you to pay your co-pays if there were any, but you didn't even pay co-pays if you went to the hospital of choice. And he has continued to innovate his system over the years. And in the last 10 years, he's only had to raise his rates of premiums to his employees twice. Very interesting. And what was very interesting is uh, he's very close to Madison, And he was talking with the Madison people, and one of the docs from Madison said, what do you do about the psychiatric aspects of care for your patients? So what do you mean? He said, how do you test them to see where they are, you know, in their minds? I said, you know, you got them doing physicals every year. That's great. You bring a doctor on site so they don't even have to leave. That's great. But you do nothing about their mental health. And he said, well, what do I do? He said, well, there's, and I don't know this is quite correct, but you can get the book. And he said, there's an 11-question questionnaire that we have perfected 
at the University of Madison, University of Wisconsin-Madison, that if you give it, it will tell you uh, the mental state of all your employees. So he made that part of the physical, and he found he had three suicidal people, and he had four depressed people. Now, do you want, and he said, this is amazing. I have these people working on a line, and I have these people working in administration, and they're suicidal? And so he was able to get them into mental health intervention. Well, I think this is an awesome book. The Corporation That Saved Healthcare. We're going to put it. That's a wonderful trailer. I want to pick it up myself. Do you know who the author is? I'll get it to you. No problem. We, we can get that. And as soon as we do that, out comes Rocket listeners, along with Dr. Patterson's uh, top four here, objective data believed by the staff, believe, don't believe your own press releases. You got to make sure you do cross-pollination to learn from others. And finally, keep the patients out of the hospitals. That's the way you're going to improve outcomes. That's the way you're going to make healthcare better. And then read the books. All of this is going to be in the show notes. When you go to the website at outcomesrocket.com, you'll be able to see them right there. Dr. Patterson, before we conclude, I just want to open up the mic to you where you could share a parting piece of guidance and the best way that the Outcomes Rocket listeners can get a hold of you. The best way to get hold of us is uh, our site's currently under construction, but it'll be up and running soon. So just go to verisvrras.com and that'll tell you a lot about us or call me direct. Uh, send me an email. It's uh, very simple. My initials are DJP, Dennis Joseph Patterson, DJP at Virus, V-E-R-R-A-S dot com. And also, we'd like to uh, put a link to your podcast. Uh, Excellent. On site, so allow people to understand what I've just said, but also what others are saying in order to connect them. We are uh, more than happy to talk with people. We have the ability to show you the clinical variation using public data. So if you don't really want to reveal to your medical staff that you're really thinking of this yet, but you want to know, yes, I have that variation, we can show that to you. And it's an eye-opener. And a lot of times people will try to dismiss and say, oh, well, that's all of our Medicare patients. That doesn't include everyone else. And we say, we have found over the ages that that clinical variation shows up on all your patients because the doctor does not put a little blue dot on a Medicare patient a little red dot on a Blue Cross Blue Shield patient. Right. And so the call to action here, Outcomes Rocket listeners, is to step up to the plate and remember why you got into this to begin with. And if you want to take a look at, at what the folks at Veris are doing to get that objective data to make outcomes better in your facility, save some cash. They have a non-threatening way of doing it by taking a look at different data sets. So take that call to action. Remember why you got into this and uh, just know that we're here for you and and so are they. Dr. Patterson, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity for being on the show with us today. I think that the conversation we've had will create a ripple effect of positive change within this system and just want to give you a big thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Get excited for Health 2.0's 11th Annual Fall Conference and save $100 with this promo code, FALL17ROCKET. That's F-A-L-L 17-R-O-C-K-E-T. At this one-of-a-kind conference, you'll discover the latest innovation and hear the hottest topics and trends in health tech. Join 2,000 decision makers, including healthcare providers, developers, investors, and startups, as they gather to see over 200 live product demos, 100 plus thought leaders, and 10 new company launches. Visit outcomesrocket.com/health. 
That's outcomesrocket.com slash health20. And use promo code FALL17ROCKET to get $100 off of this outstanding and exciting event. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 